Let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we will get started. Father, we are just so thankful for your presence this morning. Lord, we are reminded that where more than two are gathered in your name, you indeed are present. So Lord, we thank you for being here with us. Lord, we ask now that you help to quiet our minds, remove the distractions. If we have cell phones, make sure we have those turned off or muted. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing to help keep us focused on who you are. Bless us at this time, Lord, and we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love it. Off to a good start. In my early teens, I often took car rides with my parents. But I found myself getting car sick when I was not looking outside the windows. This may be very typical for a lot of us, right? It prompted me to sit in the back seat in the middle so that I could see straight ahead and look out at everything in front of us as we moved along. I grew to like that spot a lot. I knew that it was a cure for being car sick, but I also had appreciation for seeing where we were going and imagining what it was going to be like one day when I learned to drive. Fast forward about 10 years later to the day when I was hired as a sales rep and retail merchandiser for Activision video games. Now, video games, this is back in the 80s, so I'm already aging myself right now, okay? But the job was originally based in Cincinnati and had a territory that covered southern Ohio and much of Kentucky. These were all places that I have never been before. I was a native Clevelander. I was in Cleveland for all of my life. In fact, Cincinnati was the only other place I ever lived. But I saw that these places were going to give me a myriad of new experiences. I heard southern accents for the first time when I went to Cincinnati and to Kentucky. You only have to go south in Ohio and start to hear southern accents. I drove through many places there and it gave me the bug to travel from that very moment. Now, I didn't face any barriers to travel. It was great. I had no issues at all when I rented a room at a Motel 6 in Louisville and ate supper at the Steak and Shake next door. Y'all shaking your heads like, why are you staying in a motel? Listen, this was my budget. You do what your budget allows you to do. And Steak and Shake now, come on now. It's pretty good. All right. So now that we've clarified that. In contrast, my parents didn't travel very much. And I'm pretty sure that my grandparents didn't either, especially during the days when Jim Crow laws existed. In those days, it was not convenient nor expedient to travel in certain areas because of all the restrictions that were taking place. There were sundown towns where blacks could walk the streets during the day, but they were not allowed there after dark. In fact, if a person or a family wanted to travel for business or leisure or even to visit a sick or dying relative, it would be a very stressful trip if you were going into unfamiliar places. Now, who am I talking about? Blacks, African Americans. 
If you wanted to get something to eat, you might encounter a restaurant that would only serve white people. Now, I'm going to give a hat tip to and a thanks to a special man named Victor Hugo Green. He was a black man. He was a Harlem postal carrier who also had an interest in travel, helping others with information as to where blacks could travel freely and bypass places where there were restrictions. He compiled a list of recommendations for blacks of the best places to go and see. Almost like a little AAA thing for black folks to use. Have you ever heard of the Green Book? The Green Book. Okay, we've got one or two people who have heard of it. I had never heard of this before. But it is so cool. The Green Book, his last name was Green, so we called it the Green Book. It was a guidebook that was originally published in 1936 in order for African Americans to safely navigate the roads of a segregated country. Green wrote the introduction to the 1949 edition and wrote these words, quote, With the introduction of this travel guide in 1936, it has been our idea to give the Negro traveler information that will keep him from running into difficulties, embarrassments, and to make his trips more enjoyable. He identified services and places that were relatively friendly to blacks so they could find lodging, businesses, and gas stations that would serve them along the road. And Green, because he was so much into travel, he opened up his own travel agency in New York City in 1947. The Green Book grew to the point where over two million of those were sold. And they were published every year until 1966. Green once said that he had hoped there would be a day when his book was no longer needed. He passed away in 1960, but he was responsible for helping blacks everywhere to move more freely and live peacefully during a very stressful time in our country. How do you combat the stresses of life? Take a few deep breaths. And keep calm. That's for starters. There is no better feeling than hitting the open road and taking in deep breaths of fresh air as you explore the roads or even hit the beach. I will recommend, too, if you've never been to Utah, you just want to go to Utah, fly to Las Vegas, drive up into Utah. It is beautiful through there. You'll see stuff that you won't see here. And it's really great to do stuff like that. That's a commercial for Utah. I'll have him send me a check later. <laughs> hey, even hitting the beach is great, right? Amen? This is why doing something different every once in a while is very good for you. We all need to experience the calming presence of the beauty of nature. It all begins with unplugging from your routine. And centering yourself on the calming presence of Jesus Christ, wherever you go. Have you ever considered that the time you spend before the Lord should be a time that involves peace and quiet? Peace and quiet. I've never really understood people who take a vacation and then take their work laptop with them to keep in touch with what's going on at work. But people do this all the time. But how are you having a vacation? 
It's not calming or peaceful to me. I'm not going to do it. But now for me and my lovely bride, because we are creatives, we do creating things, okay? We often make the declaration, have iPad, will travel. We take our gear with us and we use it during our downtime in the hotel because, why? It's relaxing and peaceful as we draw, as we read, including reading scripture, amen, and write. We need to ensure that our downtime is best used to seek the Lord's presence and to express ourselves in a manner that truly invites Him in. Invite in. Jesus. Keep calm and chill out. Amen? Amen. Chill out. Now this is not all about taking taking the Lord with you on vacation. Stuff like that. This is about ensuring that your personal relationship with Jesus continues to grow no matter where we are throughout the day. Whether we're here, whether we're at the grocery store, whether we're on vacation, it doesn't make any difference. We need to make sure that Jesus is part of our lifestyle in everything that we do. The calming presence of Jesus is always appropriate and should always be an important part of your life pursuits. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Matthew chapter 11. Let's take a look at verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. When someone like Jesus gives you an invitation and tells you something that's going to be helpful for you, why would you not want to do that? And this is what he does here in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Matthew 11, verse 28. I love invitations like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the best possible burden you can have, a light burden. You know, it's really interesting. When we were younger, you know, we would have these backpacks and we would have all these books that we would have in school. Some of the heaviest books you ever had, right? And you're cramming them into a backpack and it's like you're carrying, it's like you're carrying like in a coal mine or something. It was very heavy, very uncomfortable to carry all the time. And you just couldn't wait to put that backpack down. Jesus is a light burden. Not even probably fair to even call him a burden. But he's referring to himself in comparison to what you deal with on a daily basis. We have enough burdens in life where we take one more thing on we would collapse. Do you know what I'm talking about? You take on one more thing, you collapse. Jesus makes it clear he's not heavy at all. He's there to help you deal with your burdens. He's there with you to help you deal with the things you're dealing with. 
that alone should help you to breathe easier. Some of y'all ain't breathing at all, are you? But Jesus is there to help you breathe easier. We have to remember to think of him when we're going through these things. I love Jesus. This is me talking. I love Jesus because he is always there. But I need to go to him. I need to go to him to experience his peace and rest. He's always there. But I have to say, Lord, I'm coming to you right now. Give me peace. Give me rest. I have to go to him and learn from him in these moments. I have to sit still with him from time to time as I need to be in tune with his will for my life and receive his assurance as he addresses my prayers and petitions. And for some of us, the list of prayers and the list of petitions can be pages and pages long if you really take the time to write them down. But Jesus loves you and cares very much for you. And yet you and I could do a much better job of returning that love directly to him. Amen? His attributes of humility and gentleness are what needs to become more natural for each of us. He is naturally gentle. He is naturally dealing with you. We in many ways sometimes... We need to tell the truth about who we are. Our challenge is to draw near to him as much as we can while living in today's world. Because today's world is pushing up the ante against us. Now we have heard all these things before. I know you've heard this stuff. This is nothing new under the sun. But I'm compelled to use a verse here to qualify, first of all, If we're all on the same page. Amen? So let's do that. Go to Romans 8. Let's look at Romans 8 verses 28 and 29. Romans 8 verses 28 and 29. Um, You're familiar with Romans 8 28. And I'm going to look at the New Living Translation. But I want you to follow along in your version. But let's go over this very carefully. And let's make sure we're all on the same page. Romans 8 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance to his purpose for them. Verse 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now this verse, we've heard it before, is often used to affirm that God loves you and that He is working everything for our ultimate good. Now, we know that not everything that happens to us on the surface is good, but we're talking about the ultimate good. And that's the relationship you have with Jesus. That's ultimately good at the end of the day. But when God is in it, when God is in your life, He's the one that's glorified, no matter what you're going through. To Him be the glory, because you are following Him. You're trusting in Him in all circumstances. But there's a conditional statement within these verses. Do you know what it is? Here it is. Do you love God? 
Do you love God? That's important for you to see here. Look what it says in verse 28 again. Working together for the good of those who love God. That's a conditional statement. If you don't love God, this verse doesn't work for you. You're just going through stuff. And you don't know why you're going through stuff. But at least if you're going through stuff and God is present, God, help me with this. How are we to love God? We are to love Him by being obedient to Him and keeping His commandments. His commands. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you want to love God, keep His commands. Read the Bible. Look and see what it says. Turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. And by the way, since I'm looking at this, if you were opening the Bible for the first time, I I do recommend you read the book of James because it's for believers. But John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. The disciple who loved Jesus. Jesus loved this disciple. They had a great relationship. It's a great place to read in scripture about this love relationship we're talking about. 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. English Standard Version. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It really should be atypical for a believer to not love someone. Express love for someone. Care for someone. It is the exact opposite of what a believer should be doing. To not care for someone. Love must be at the forefront in your life. Period. It's part of your nature. It's part of your character. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's natural for you to love God and love others as well, too. There's no exceptions to that. God's love for you is not conditional. He loved you before you loved Him. That's in 1 John 4.19. He loved you before you knew how to love Him. Your love for God begins with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about this. Hey, if you don't know Jesus, don't put it off. Well, I got stuff to work out in my own mind. Well, I'm kind of busy right now. Don't do that. Don't play that. Don't do that. Your love for God begins with your personal relationship with Jesus. Keep calm and keep Christ in your heart. Let's keep calm by recognizing and maintaining these Christ-like attributes. We're going to use the word calm and do an acronym here. So the first one for C 
for calm is composure. Composure. In a word, and this might be the most important one of all of them. I'm just going to say that on my own because we live in a world where there are folks who are always losing control. Amen? They don't keep composure. We as believers need to be composed. We need to be able to hold ourselves. When stuff doesn't agree with us or stuff doesn't work with us, we have to calm ourselves and keep our composure. There are fewer and fewer people out there, maybe even folks in your own family, no names, who can't keep their composure. As a follower of Jesus, you have got to keep your cool. Your testimony of Jesus will be undermined if you're known to be a hothead. Or if you can't seem to control your potty mouth. Yeah, I said it. In other words, don't succumb to the temptation of responding as the world dictates. The world will challenge you in these areas. But you gotta say, you know, I can't, I can't respond to that. Do yourself a favor. Limit your social media time. Limit your social media time. Limit your social media time. Because it seems to trigger a lot of folks. And what people are realizing is that social media is addictive. Especially for the younger people. Mom and Dad, I'm not telling you how to parent, but wait as long as you can before you pass off that iPhone to your children. And I mean that sincerely. Because a lot of kids start very young and very early. I would challenge you, I don't think a 10-year-old needs to have an iPhone. I don't think that needs to happen. I think it needs to be as long as possible. Yes, you want to be able to communicate with them. Yes, then put the restrictions on the phone. Amen. They're out there. You can do it. Because social media is addictive. And it might be a tough lesson for some of us to hear about this composure thing. I have a bad temper. I do not. Well, if you got a bad temper, you got a problem. That's not composed. Please turn to Luke chapter 6. Before you think this is veering off into something off a cliff, it's not. Luke 6, let's look at verses 27 through 36. This is the NIV version. We're going to look at this entire passage. And I want you to see how Jesus has challenged people to do something. And people look at this at first and say, what are you talking about? I can't do this. What do you mean you can't do this? You don't want to try? You don't want to follow God's word? Luke chapter 6, verse 27. We'll start there. Luke 6, verse 27. And check this out. I'm going to come back and show you this too. What's interesting about this passage. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now you see, if you look back at the early part of the passage here, you know, there's stuff here that flies in the face of common sense for a lot of us. If someone smacks you on the cheek, just turn your cheek and let it hit the other one too. Now I think Jesus means this literally. I think this is a literal statement he's making to us. Because it may not be a physical slap, but it might be words. It might be actions. And you need to just say, you know what? I'm chill. I'm composed. I don't care what you say or what you think. But I love you anyway. And give him a big pearly smile too. Because you don't, and not, and not an insincere smile. You love because you love the Lord. You are recognizing you're representing someone. Notice how Jesus makes the comment back in verse 27 to you who are listening. That implies there were people in the audience during the Sermon on the Mount, you would find that in Matthew chapter 5, who were not paying attention to his words. Not paying attention. And see, Jesus knows who's paying attention and who's not paying attention. To those of you who are listening, and I can say the same thing here too, to those of you who are listening, to those of you who are paying attention, I'm not as eloquent as Jesus speaking, but he knows who's paying attention. He knows who this is for. For those who truly desire to love the Lord and serve him. If you choose not to listen to him, that's your prerogative. If you choose not to listen to me, that's your prerogative too. You're welcome to do that. But a true believer in Jesus relies upon his wisdom, the wisdom of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep calm and remember the words of Jesus. Turn to John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 21. John 14, 21 in the New Living Translation. John 14, 21. You've heard me mention different Bible versions. Usually I read from different versions that are commonplace. New Living Translation is what we typically use in Sunday school because it has a great flow. But the NIV version, the English Standard Version, they're all great. They still convey exactly what you need for a greater understanding. And that's what you should be doing. You're, here, you're trying to understand what God's saying to you. Amen? Amen? 
John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Uh, that sentence alone speaks for itself. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. That's Jesus speaking. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. If you love God, He is going to show Himself. He's going to show out for you. But you have to love Him. So that you even recognize what He's doing in your life. That's what a relationship does. The more you learn about somebody, the more you grow accustomed to them. He's going to show you. The A in calm is for assurance. Assurance. I'm going to give you two definitions for assurance. First, per Merriam-Webster, the word assurance, which is a noun, is confidence of mind or manner. Easy freedom from self-doubt or uncertainty. In a theological sense, assurance refers to a believer's confidence in God, a confidence that God responds to prayer, and confidence in eternal security through salvation. There's a common word there you might have picked up on. You're confident about what you have in your relationship with Jesus. You're not second-guessing. Well, maybe this. Well, maybe that. No. You're confident. You believe and He's going to do what He says. The resurrection of Jesus is the confidence that we have through faith. Assurance is the absence of doubt. Through faith in the works of Jesus. Remember, the opposite of faith is doubt. Faith is necessary. Keep calm and take assurance that salvation awaits for all who trust and believe in Jesus. When you hear the word assurance, you think of the song Blessed Assurance by Fanny Crosby. You know that song, right? Blessed assurance. You can sing along. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Y'all ain't singing. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Refrain. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. Now, don't expect me to sing every time I come up here and preach. I'm going to tell you that right now. Vic and anybody else listening. <laughs> The L in calm stands for long-suffering. 
which is sometimes putting up with me. Long-suffering. Jesus promises us that there will be problems in this world, but wants you to trust him in that he already has the victory. He's got the victory. Now, long-suffering implies what? You're going through stuff, and you just... Hopefully it's not Groundhog Day. Every day you get up, it's the same thing. Hopefully it's progressing to something. Turn to John chapter 16. Let's look at verse 33. John 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. NIV version. Now Jesus, remember Jesus only gives you the truth. And this passage is truthful about what you and I go through all the time. Verse 33, John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now look what he said. He's saying, in me you'll have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He's telling the truth. We're not, it's not a comparison thing. We don't need to throw our troubles on. Oh, troubles over here, troubles over there. Compare, well, you got more troubles than me. No, there's no need for that. You got your own share of troubles. But remember, it's whatever God gives you that you can bear. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what we understand in faith. We have the victory in Jesus. Sometimes we just need to live like we had the victory. Amen. That's called recognition. Every believer has the capacity of, uh, pardon me, the capability of patience and long-suffering through the enabling of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Where would we be without the Spirit? Long-suffering in Christ is directly associated with a changing, sanctifying power within your relationship with Jesus. Go quickly to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verses 3 through 5. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. I hope that you're not the person that just expects to have good things happen to you all the time. That's not realistic. Amen? I mean, I would love to have good stuff happen all the time. I mean, I I would love to say that, you know, but... The reality is, good stuff isn't always going to happen all the time. Scripture's telling us this, so it's like, oh man, I don't know if I want to listen to what Scripture says. Suit yourself. But let's look at what it says here. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How are we able to do all this stuff? What God gives us through the Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit helps us to endure anything. Anything. And I mean anything. You have peace because of this relationship with Jesus. 
So what about our brothers and sisters out there who don't know Jesus? What do you think they're going through? What are they leaning on? What is their hope in? I'm just giving you that as food for thought because we know that suicides went up for younger people. We know that they just have trouble coping with life today. And too often we protect our kids from stuff. And frankly, we need to tell them, you're going to go through stuff. And teach them this stuff. You don't have to turn here. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. James is telling us in this reading, you're going to go through stuff of all kinds, but praise God. He's keeping you through those trials. That's what he's telling us right here. Praise God. Count it all joy. Because you're going to have, it's going to have its full effect on you. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Putting on the armor of God sometimes means just standing still. And letting the arrows come at you to just stand your ground. Keep calm and persevere for our prize is eternal life with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And for those of you who have not yet decided to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, give this your immediate consideration today. Why? Turn to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. You know, when Christ tells us to be long-suffering, guess who Jesus is? The ultimate long-suffering person to look to in the Godhead. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you. You, my brother and sister, whoever is out there listening that doesn't know Jesus, He is long-suffering towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's for anybody who doesn't know Jesus. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to make that commitment. Go to Romans 2, verse 4. And I want, I want you to see this for what it is. It almost could be a continuation of what we just read in 2 Peter 3. But Romans 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'm reading from the NIV version. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 
That's like a follow to what we just read. Do you appreciate what he's doing for you or do you show contempt for it? I pray that's not anyone here in this room. Those who hesitate in this matter are subject to a great loss. I'm just going to leave it there. The M in calm is for mildness. Mildness is not a sign of weakness. Men, mildness is not a sign of weakness. If anything, it's strength. Mildness is not weakness. It is to carry a gentle disposition. Hey, when you're raising your family and children, guess what? Daddy needs to be calm and mild. He still needs to discipline, but he needs to be cool about it. You want me to repeat that again? When you discipline your children, you do so not in anger. You might be really ticked off. You might not like what they do, but you've got to be calm. Because that's showing the godly attribute that comes out. You better believe when Jesus disciplines you, he doesn't do it out of anger. He does it because he loves you. That's how you have to be. Mildness is a reflection of one's character. It requires a humble heart. Because you know, as you discipline someone else, guess what? Sometimes you deserve to be disciplined too. We all know that. There's stuff that you used to do when you were a little kid you know you shouldn't have been doing. Should have got you behind whipped and that's the end of that. Move on from there. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We know that. A humble heart is necessary for mildness. From the definition of mildness it involves what? The characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25. We're on the home stretch. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25. We know these characteristics, but mildness is embedded in all of these things. Galatians 5, verse 22. I'll wait till you get there. Galatians 5, verse 22. If we're allowing the Holy Spirit to be a part of everything we do, we need to be in this. Allowing the Spirit to work. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you want to be mild, if you want to show strength, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep calm and live in humility just as your Savior. He was humble too. Lived in humility. You may have noticed throughout this message there is an element of self-care 
as part of this message. Keeping calm is actively quieting yourself down when things get difficult. And we don't do that enough. Because we go from one busy thing to another busy thing to another busy thing, and we don't actively quiet ourselves down to really reap the benefits of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. You have to actively calm yourself down. Quiet yourself down. Keeping calm is necessary in this situation when things get difficult. It also provides the opportunity to reflect upon the goodness and timeliness of Jesus in your life. Where would you be without Jesus? That's the question we should always ask. Where would you be right now? Or as my dad might have said, right now. Without Jesus. I know I've asked it. Keep your composure. Live with assurance that Jesus is for you. Remain patient in your long suffering as you represent Christ. Live in the spirit with mildness and humility. One more passage. Go to Philippians 2. And we'll close out. Philippians 2 verses 14 through 16. And Paul says this very well too. Philippians 2 verses 14 through 16. Because we need to be reminded that we tell you, yes, keep calm, but make sure that you're doing it in the world today, it's easy to get caught up in conversations that other folks have that don't know the Lord. You really do need to make sure that you're quieting your soul and listening to what's going on, but always do this. Verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Ho ho! Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Amen. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. We can't live like the world. We can't. It's not about, now it's a choice. You know, so-and-so did something to me. So-and-so did. No. You cannot live like the world. I don't care what someone else does to you. We've already seen passages that say we have to stand and take the higher ground. And the higher ground is with a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean you like stuff that happens. See, we equate feelings too often to facts. Take the high road. Don't complain. Don't argue. Don't open yourself up to criticism. And you know what? If you mess up, ask the Lord for forgiveness. He'll be there with you. In a fast-paced world, you're going to find the best place to park yourself is in God's Word. And trusting in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep calm.
and trust Jesus for life. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, speak to us now, individually and collectively, as a group. Speak to us as to where we are in your relationship with us. Speak to us about where we are and how we hold you as far as how we live our lives. Lord, teach us to be the ones who know how to keep calm and trust in you. The ones who know how to keep our composure. The ones who truly do believe that you are who you say you are. That you have given us eternal life. We have that blessed assurance. Lord, help us to remain long-suffering in all that we do. Help us to remain patient and persevere through difficulty. Lord, help us to be mild. Because in our mildness, we are indeed strong because you are present. Lord, we thank you for the future testimonies that will come of your goodness, your greatness, and for the reasons we praise you today. Thank you for teaching us and reminding us of your goodness in all of this. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. May we always turn to you when there's stressful moments and learn how to do a better job of keeping calm in your presence. Bless us and keep us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.